0: You like romantic movies and you never will forget the way you fuck when Hi everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in 5 podcast. My name is Kate Kennedy, owner and founder of Be There in 5, the company as well as this namesake podcast. This song, I can love you like that, is sung by All for One and was originally sung by John Michael Montgomery made as a country song, but only a year later in 1995 did All For One remake it and just turn it into a powerhouse that stayed on the charts for 11 weeks? All For One also is famously known for I Swear. They're often confused with Boys to Men, but very different. And what can I say? I'm a sucker for some good old-fashioned 90s baby-making R&B music. I don't think they make them like this anymore. And given that last week I was reintroducing you to All Saints, I could not neglect All For One. So, you know, there's, there's a few reasons. Don't you love that... The, sounds of the city in the background god we are running a professional operation here um one thing i love about this song is the intro and i don't know how to describe that sound but there's something so quintessentially 90s about that uh like you know what i'm talking about at the beginning like almost reminds me of like a Casio keyboard when you could play those demo songs or I guess like um, in Friends when Ross Geller found his sound on his keyboard and played I think it was called Intergalactic Love Ballad you know along those lines there's just something electronic yet whimsy and romantic about it that just you know melts my heart. In in revisiting this song today for this podcast it has been on my short list for a while of intro songs I wanted to use because I like that sound so much but I really was re-listening to the lyrics today and I think it it really nicely represents that paradox between how the the very sweet intentions of a nice message are received, depending on if you are already into the person or if you are not into the person. Because the way this song is sung is to a woman who this guy wants to be in a relationship with, but is not yet in a relationship issue with somebody else. Is she, you know, in the friend zone? It's unclear, but what we do know about her, he says in the first words, she's clearly very much romantic because he says, they read you Cinderella. You hoped it would come true that one day your Prince Charming would come rescue you. You like romantic movies and you never will forget the way you felt when Romeo kissed Juliet." And, you know, obviously, I think it's safe to say that this came out in 1995, which means she was just a fan of the snooze fest Shakespearean version of Romeo and Juliet. But in hearing this, you know, in a post-97 world after Leonardo DiCaprio kissed Claire Danes in that version of Romeo and Juliet, this takes on a whole new meaning. I mean, that sound that was one of the soundtracks of the century, that garbage song, The Cardigan's Love Fool. And like lest we forget the artistic integrity and uh, high quality, gorgeous composition of the music by none other than the band, the Butthole Surfers, which I would imagine they got together, uh, thought it would be very funny to uh, have a band name that people were too uncomfortable to say that people would have to hide their discography from their parents and you know, as we got closer, as the technology advanced, I'd imagine they had a similar sense of humor to those of the people who created whitehouse.com in that they got a kick out of people innocently searching for something on the internet only to have search results populating with something quite the opposite. I don't know if you guys remember in like elementary school or middle school, whitehouse.com before you understood extensions like .gov, .net, .org, WhiteHouse.com was indeed a porn site that, you know, if you were innocently trying to do some research in your civics class on, you know, the American governmental system, and you click on a link about, you know, something along the lines of a, a three-way thinking, oh, this will be great, the government is divided into three ways, you would be presented with a site that, uh, let's just say, was not the separation of powers. It was indeed the fusion of of three non-legislative bodies that had nothing to do with the representation of the executive, legislative, and judicial branches. But, you know, it was a fun and entertaining time before parental controls and... uh, the filtering of sites was enabled in school when computers first came out, and the adults understood less about the internet that the kids did. So we just pretend to play Word Munchers and Storybook Weaver while looking and giggling at inappropriate sites on the internet. Though I will say, White, the WhiteHouse.com was far too much for me. I am nothing if not a perennial goody-goody. I, uh, when Natalie and Bruglia's song "Torn" would come on the radio, and we had this super sick feature in our Ford Windstar where you could press mute from the back seat. When she said nothing's right I'm torn I'm a lot of faith this is how I feel I'm cold and I'm ashamed lying naked on the floor my siblings and I would mute out the word naked so we could still enjoy the you know songwriting and singing of one Natalie and Bruglia without our mom deeming the song to be inappropriate so if that goes to show you know what was cool in my house Safe to say, Butthole Surfer's album's not going to happen. So, you know, Romeo and Juliet's a situation where you remove the album jacket from the acrylic casing, should mom ever come across it. Even uh, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. I mean, trying to get away with listening to that without your parents noticing how foul the language was. I mean, uh, to be fair... To hear me singing, You Ought to Know, at the top of my lungs off of my daybed when I was in fifth grade, probably would alarm me too, as a parent. And, you know, at the time, I thought the lyrics were, I thought, <laughs> you know, and she says, and I'm here to remind you of the cross eyed bear that you gave to me. You, you, you ought to know. I thought it was of the cross eyed bear. Like, the Lance that was so pissed off that some guy gave her a cross-eyed teddy bear. And it was like this metaphor for like a messed up love, like a nice gesture that was cross-eyed, couldn't see straight, so deep, crushing the symbolism game. And uh, in retrospect, that just goes to show how I was uh, way too young to be listening to that song and that, you know, I, I was not aware of the concept of homophones and that, you know you ought to know probably wasn't an anthem about being given a crappy Valentine's Day gift from the CVS. Anyway, speaking of star cross-eyed bears, star-crossed lovers, when I was talking about Romeo and Juliet, I was talking about All for One. And I think that this song, I Can Love You Like That, in the lyrics talking about how she is a romantic, I think this song represents the paradox of how even if the intentions are pure and sweet, the reception of a grand romantic gesture is entirely dependent on if you already like the person or not. Because a romantic gesture to somebody you are already into is butterflies. And a romantic gesture of somebody you are not into nor probably will ever be is Butterflies, but in the sense that it is nausea that then induces vomiting because somebody coming on too strong when you are not into them is nothing short of disgusting, and it, it, it is a it is a tricky thing, and I think you know perspectives can shift over time, but in general. I I just I don't know many firsthand cases where two people were just friends or had, you know, no romantic linkage and somebody pouring out their heart and soul romantically led to the other person completely doing a 180. A quick interruption to the broadcast uh, being made from post-production. My sister, a.k.a. my producer, a.k.a. the person who I forced to listen to this podcast uh, and tell me what nobody cares about. And she corrects me when I am wrong. She astutely brought to my attention that a very, very good example of an exception to this rule is Carly and Evan from Bachelor in Paradise. And now, far be it for me to exclude a couple from not only my favorite franchise, but my favorite aspect of a favorite franchise, which is that of a spinoff of a franchise. And yes, they I'm pretty sure she vomited on their first date. She was like greed in the face when he looked at her. He was coming on so strong she she just like made so much fun of him and confessionals and like really could not stand him and then truly did a 180 so I stand corrected 99% sure she was told by somebody that Evan actually owns his own practice and he's not just an enlargement product salesman which the bachelor kind of positioned him as apparently he's really wealthy and does well and You know, by Carly's own admission at the time, she had a pretty tough eyebrow situation. So, you know, money can help that money can get you microblading. I heard Evan drives a Tesla. I'm sure none of that hurt, you know. So thank you, Kelly, for your astute observation. And now back to your regularly scheduled programming, just because I don't know, I think like this song, if you were already in a relationship and the person was into you, but like maybe tentative and been hurt before and whatever. Like, yeah, it would win them over. But I think if you've asked somebody out a few times and it's not working and you're kind of in the friend zone and you're like, oh girl, you want tenderness? I got tenderness and I see through to the heart of you. If you want a man who will understand, you don't have to look very far. I'd probably be like, OK. And then I'd come over and I'd be like, so when are we eating? And he'd be like, what? And, he, and I'd be like, you said you've got tenders. And he'd be like, no, I said I've got tenderness. And then I'd be like, oh, sorry, I misunderstood. I'm a little bit hungry. And based on the emotional outpouring of that comment, I assumed you were kind of the type of guy that would add an unnecessary, you know, suffix onto a word like sweetness or coolness. So excuse me for thinking. Tenderness was indeed an invite to come over and dip some tenders in ranch. But if you are actually offering feelings of sincerity and warmness and kindness toward me unsolicited, then mm, sorry, I gotta go. Anyway, I just think that I've spoken about before how a lot of the music I listened to in my childhood gave me very unrealistic expectations about love because when you hear these things and you're not in love, you just really think that any all, all of these words would just absolutely make you swoon and when you over when it's just how it's funny how in practice it's not like that. <laughs> Can you imagine in real life another another amazing song from I believe 1995, uh, somebody coming up to you and speaking to you in like the tone, like Kevin Richardson's smooth baritone voice at the beginning of Backstreet Boys, I'll Never Break Your Heart, and taking them seriously because they're like, wait, actually, I'm going to try to do one of my vocal effects that I just found on my recording software. Let me see if this works. Okay, never mind. That was terrifying. I really wanted to be like, baby, I know you're hurting. And right now you feel like you could never love again. But all I ask is... For me to prove that I love you, or whatever he says. But its <laughs> it sounded more like, I don't know if you watched the cartoon, Doug. I'm sure you did, not I don't even know if this is accurate, but the first thing that came to my mind was my voice sounded like that of a nematode. Baby, I know you're hurting, and right now you feel like you can never love again. <laughs> that, that would have been alarming to just drop on you without any context, right? But this sounds exactly like... They know what is what, but they don't know what is what. They just strut. What the? From Katy Perry's song, Swish Swish, which, meh, nah, not the best song, but the only reason I am very familiar with it is because I have watched that backpack kid swing his arms so many times and tried to do it so many times thinking, it just looks like the classic dance move that I'm a big fan of, which is the limp torso. But really, it's nearly impossible. So kudos to backpack kid. Glad he is seeing more success at 10 years old than I ever will in my life. Anyway, I gotta say, Apple... GarageBand has some pretty uh, sweet features. And, you know, by sweet, I mean, I don't use that word ever, and I don't know why I said it. And also, I have absolutely no visibility into, like, what are normal or cool or new features of any audio recording software because the last time I recorded myself talking... It was probably into like a talk boy a la Home Alone or a yak back. I had a yak back. I was a huge yak backer. You, it was basically, this is the whole worst toy of all time. That had these really hard batteries to access and change and it would die in like five minutes. And you'd press a button, say something into it. And then it would like yak it back to you. And then there was like a yak backwards that it could say your sentence backwards. And that was it. I mean, truly, the, the people making millions off these ideas. I, But to me, as far as I was concerned as a kid, I was looking, I was, this was a crystal ball into the future. I was like, oh my God, my voice is on this thing. It is telling it back to me. I can play drums. I can remix my voice. I can make myself sound like a chipmunk. I could sing that Ola oh, hope song. And it's like so hilarious. And I'll play it for my brother. And I don't know. I'm also pretty sure you could get a yak back by eating a crap ton of potato chips and then emailing the swatches like Box Stop for education to this chip manufacturer, and then they would send you a yak back, but it was like a $5 value, and they would make you pay shipping and handling, thus canceling it out. And the $5 was also the cost of a value pack of potato chips, so why not just buy the toy and forego the childhood obesity, you know? Also, I was reading recently that breakfast being the most important meal of the day is a conspiracy created by the cereal companies, and that, like, vitamin C isn't nearly as important for your immune system as people say it is, but there was, like, an orange surplus after the war. Can anybody back this up? I'm sure nutritionists are like, your eyes are rolling back in your head and you think I'm crazy. And I'm sure breakfast is an important meal of the day. I just heard that like the nexus of that uh, messaging being such a conventional wisdom was actually to indeed sell more cereal. As we all know, the bottom of the food, food pyramid being grains is like the biggest conspiracy of all time. And we, we need to be using the more modernized plate. But uh, yeah, crazy to think about, right? How many things that are just ingrained, no pun intended, in us are just products of people wanting to sell stuff. It's, it's terrible when you think about it. It's too dark. Let's move on. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, my super sick Neiman effects. Oh, yeah, I'll never break your heart. Yeah, I just, the, I, I, I guess I just am constantly having trouble reconciling how I thought my life would turn out based on these songs. But then I think about somebody, you know, walking up to me in the commons or the courtyard at college and being like, Baby. I know you're hurting. It's like, (laughs) go away. Um, But yeah, I think beyond romantic gestures, the more problematic scenario of this paradox is in terms of physical relationships. When you first start dating, when you're on a date, whatever, and you, each person is trying to gauge the other's level of interest. And that affects how you approach them if you want to kiss them or whatever. And I felt like we all lived this kind of discomfort uh, watching Ari as the bachelor he was very well known in emily maynard season for kind of pressing women up against walls and making out with them and at the time the twitterverse like loved it and seemed to find it very attractive Hence the term, the kissing bandit that was overused this season that was relevant five years ago. When, I don't know, watching Ari aggressively kiss these girls with his hands and their hair and stuff and like barely knowing them, I felt like he was trying too hard and it really grossed me out. It's interesting. I think that that's a fine line too of, you know, somebody you like kind of presses you up against the wall. That's great. But somebody you don't like, the only thing getting pressed is charges because I am freaked out and that's like borderline assault. And, uh, you know, obviously you should, anything that makes you remotely uncomfortable, you have every right to back off and say no and tell the person to go away. But if you, you know, want the guy to take charge and he's treating you overly delicately, almost, it's like, okay, like grow a pair, you know, it's, it's tricky. Again, I am married. I have no grounds to talk about this, but these are the things I think about. Or um, I was talking with a friend, semi-similarly, how like acts of chivalry are perceived anymore. If somebody is, you know, opens a door for you or picks up a meal or whatever, you you know, does it make you feel like fragile? Is is that a conflicting ideal with women, you know, constantly fighting to be equal? From my standpoint. I don't think these are comparable ideals because I've heard some people say if we're equal, then we should split the check. Why do I have to be like opening doors? But the thing is opening, if, if chivalry, can only exist in the absence of feminism. You're suggesting that opening a door or you find it in you to not honk outside of my house and just come to the door, you're suggesting that those acts of courtesy are comparable levels of sacrifice to women having to forego their rights to be simply equal to you. Not greater than, not a threat to, simply equal because, I don't know, we're human. I don't know, you're not better than us. Like, come on. It's Those are, these two things are not related in my opinion. I think chivalry, has more to do with courtesy than a sacrifice men make and feeling forced to be nice because women do not have the same privileges they do. That's ridiculous. Do I think that chivalry has to do a lot with traditional systematic gender roles? Yes. And a lot of aspects of that are a problem. But I just mean specifically in the definition of it being about manners, politeness, and general respect towards somebody you are dating or courting. I would argue that independent women who are confident and who know their worth and who demand to be treated with respect would agree that They want doors opened and they want the small of their back held when they're crossing a street. And they appreciate those small courtesies because if that's how you want to be treated, that's how you deserve to be treated. Conversely, if that is not something you need or want or value in a relationship, then don't ask for it. Don't reward it and don't find somebody who values that as well. And like if you're a dude that has a chip on his shoulder because... You know, you're like, well, if women can vote and, you know, almost get paid as much as me, then like, why should I have to pick up the bill? And like, okay, you're kind of you're kind of a butthole surfer anyway. So there's that, I guess. (laughs) But, you know, I think doesn't get enough credit for being, you know, the ultimate arbiter of all things. Independent woman is Ramona Singer from Real Housewives of New York. Yeah, she's crazy. Her eyes are crazy. Her whole being is crazy. Her bangs are crazy. Her macrame get-ups are crazy, but she has always taught me for the past decade that the most important thing is to have financial independence from a man and so you are never stuck. And, you know, what was weird is that she was a bit of a, a fortune teller in that sense because she could have been stuck to Mario, ended up cheating on her very publicly and embarrassingly, and she was able to get out unscathed. And now I'm not clear on how her religious artifacts, jewelry brand, or her true renewal skincare or her, you know... Uh, I I mean, what Bethany made seem like her six cases of Ramona Pinagrigio she sells only in the tri-state area. I don't know how well these do, but, you know, they have like a $10 million Hamptons home. So I don't know. Clearly, she's doing something right. Good for Ramona for getting out of her marriage financially unscathed. She, you know, really struggled uh, as a child because going to the Berkshires and walking around those crop circles (laughs) or... No, they're not cross circles. What are they called? Uh, it was like a labyrinth in the woods, remember? And then she fake cried so she could get on a private jet and go to like a polo party in the Hamptons. There's there's no better friend than one who, you know, manipulates you and uses their uh, their victimhood of their past as a means to solicit empathy in a moment when they want to get out of the unfun thing you planned and they'd rather be in the Hamptons. Like That was awesome and horrible. And I am so excited for the next season of... Real Housewives, I can't even handle it. I am so worried they're going to cut out the Colombian boat sinking footage that there's apparently a pending lawsuit about. If there is, we definitely won't see it. But frankly, I can't handle another plot hole because they left out way too much about Bethany and Jason's divorce that I am still just mulling over in my brain. I'm just like, how did this nice boy from Pennsylvania that came across pretty normal and level-headed and not starstruck and... Natural and Bethany Ever After just turned out to be a complete monster horrible person that is making her life a living hell to this day. There's gotta be something more to this story we don't know, and I'm just hoping there's a statute of limitations or something or a point where she can write a book about it. I just, I don't know, drives me nuts. Yeah, but Mario was kind of the only normal husband in early New York. I mean, there was Simon Van Campen in, like, red leather pants, and there was the Count who we now know wanted to have an open marriage, even though Lou didn't want one, and that's really, really sad to me. And there was, uh, oh, Bobby Zara, R.I.P. He was so sweet to Joel. He really changed her life. And Allie's, too. He was very generous. Allie was very cold to him on the early seasons, but I like to think that before he passed, they were a bit closer. And beyond that, I guess Mario was kind of the best one, weirdly, even though now I I scoff at him should I see him on the streets, even though I really don't feel the need to defend Ramona or really like her that much. I just think she's an outstanding television character. And Mario kind of gave me the same vibes early on as Maurizio, Kyle Richards' husband, gives me. And I'm just so concerned. I I think Maurizio is a nice guy. He seems to truly love Kyle and they're so sweet and so happy. And she seems to be the most happily married out of any of them besides Lisa, but I'd argue that I can understand why Kyle loves Maurizio a little bit more than Lisa's obsession with Ken Todd and his mullet. But um, I think, I don't know. I'm just really, really hoping that he is as nice of a guy as he seems. And he's, you know, just like flirty and outgoing because he's a charismatic guy and not because he's, you know, stepping behind anyone's back. But I mean, as we all know, Alison Dubois told Kyle she wouldn't, Maurizio would never emotionally fulfill her. So like... Uh, what are we supposed to do with that information? Because we know how much stock Kyle puts in psychics. She had a psychic read Porsche. What is Portia doing? She's just, she's just like sitting around playing video games and charging, you know, $5,000 in Candy Crush points to uh, Kyle's Apple ID. Do you remember that episode? That was maddening. She was like, oh my God, Mauricio!" it was so funny. Portia kept buying these uh, digital goods and charged us $10,000. And they were like, oh, sweet Portia. I was like, do you know what I could do with ten thousand dollars? <laughs> oh, God, I get so frustrated. What was I talking about? Oh, well, hoping that Maurizio was a good guy. Oh, Allison Dubois. Yeah. Oh, I was ROTFL oh, the during the uh, telephone to God psychic last week. That was so funny and so strange. And I went, I if if that lady really wants to make those claims and does not have a reality show and does not let cameras in her house when she receives said phone calls. Also, are they on a landline or a cell phone? Did she clarify? Unclear, or are they in her head because she's like actually mentally unwell? I think that probably is the more likely scenario. But anyway, moving on from Housewives, I think that in thinking about uh, messaging in popular culture and feminism, I was like, you know, what was the messaging back when I was younger? And I actually remembered it was pretty girl power centric from the Spice Girls, obviously having their tagline being girl power, too. I mean, Destiny's Child, they literally sung the song Independent Women part one. But was there ever a part two? I got to say, guys, between that and Survivor, I mean, truly, they were the real troubadours of feminism back in the early 2000s when I think we thought those songs were all just, you know, great toe tappers. They were actually really giving us important messages. I mean, from Bugaboo being like, oh, my gosh, a guy calling me all the time is so annoying to Survivor, which is like, I mean, re-listen to Destiny's Child Survivor and try to not just feel Like you could take on the world. Normally, I would really argue that Kelly Clarkson is the true songstress of a revenge or a breakup song, given since you've been gone just being an anthem, a very crucial anthem for my life. Upon revisiting Survivor, and I heard, now that you're out of my life, I'm so much better. You thought I'd be weak without you, but I'm stronger. You thought that I'd be broke without you, but I'm richer. You thought that I'd be sad without you. I laugh harder. Thought I wouldn't grow without you. Now I'm wiser. Thought that I'd be helpless without you, but I'm smarter. You thought that I'd be stressed without you, but I'm chilling. You thought I wouldn't sell without you. Sold nine million. I I wish you could see my goosebumps right now. Come on. that That's amazing. That That is like... f you slam poetry i think everybody needs and i think survive like their video almost seemed it was it was kind of cheesy and it was in the heyday of survivor so i kind of feel like the uh they weren't taken as seriously given it was kind of campy but i mean truly what a great song and then independent women was for the charlie's angels soundtrack and, you know, Cameron D and Destiny, Charlie's, and no, it was, it was something Lucy Lou, and my girl drew Cameron D and Destiny, Charlie's Angels. Come on. Yeah. Um, also, Drew Barrymore would not have been in one of my picks for Charlie's Angels. But what are you going to do? The remake wasn't that good. That song, Independent Women, was a great anthem. It was very financially focused. It was the literal opposite of Blue Cantrell's hit him up style where she says, hey, ladies, if your man uh, tries to get buck wild, just go back and hit him up style. Get your hands on his cash and spend it till the last time for all the hard times. Oh, something, something. Everyone knows from the crib to the ride in the clothes. So you better let him know that if he messes up, you got to hit him up. And, you know, I don't know, Blue Cantrell. Maybe that's why you're a one hit wonder. Similarly, how I feel about Willa Ford when she was like 18 years old and like, I don't know, wearing like skaty, skating ring hot pants and like a, a chainmail blouse and was like, I want to be bad. And it's like, OK, you're trying so hard. We get it. I Want to Be Bad needs to be your sophomore album. If if you want to see success in trying to be so overtly sexual at a semi-young age that is clearly pressured by your record label, so it all makes us all a little bit sad inside, you need to go to the, the Christina Aguilera route. Start out wholesome, go genie in a bottle. You go, come on over. You go, you aren't beautiful. Like, you do all that first. And then you move on to Dirty too dirty to clean my act up. You put on assless chaps, you get in the ring and you fight dirty and we'll all love it. You come right out the gate saying, I want to be bad. I'm sorry. You lose a little credibility. And you know, that is just the way the cookie crumbles. (laughs) Note, I was, I meant to say reflection by Mulan because beautiful was in her album that dirty was also in called stripped. If you remember, she had kind of like the crazy hair and that giant flower nose ring in the beautiful video. And I honestly think the song beautiful was to offset her clear outer beauty meltdown she was having. And she wanted to be like, don't make fun of me. I'm having a crisis. Words can't bring me down, you know? It makes a lot of sense in retrospect. But I was indeed talking about reflection, which uh, those of you who know me know that Mulan is near and dear to my heart. And I have a major, major issue with people giving Elsa from Frozen far too much credit Being somewhat of a feminist icon of Frozen, I don't know, people seem to think that it it changed the category, really innovated on a stale genre focus on romantic love. When I would argue that Mulan is the real trailblazer, Mulan, the director of Mulan, actually the initial story was supposed to have the focal point be around romantic love, and she was supposed to flee... And go to Europe with a suitor. But instead, the director has daughters and he wanted a proper uh, cinematic representation of a true heroine of their own story, which had not been done in a while. And we all know Milan, uh, Milan, Mulan was as swift as the coursing river, with all the force of a great typhoon, as uh, fierce, with all the force of a raid. Wait, And I want to be clear that I know it's so uncomfortable to listen to somebody sing to themselves. It's uncomfortable for me to be singing to myself, but I try to keep this podcast like a fireside chat where we could just be working out details in real time. Because one of my biggest hangups with technology is it lost the art of debate because you're sitting at like a dinner or just hanging out with friends and everyone's like, oh, you know, what, uh, what movie were both Adam Sandler and Steve Buscemi in? And everyone's like, uh, I don't know. And then you think for a while and then I'm like, it was Mr. Deeds, but no one believes me. And they're like, well, he wasn't a Mr. Deeds. I'm like, yeah, he was crazy. I'm like, I don't think that was him. And then somebody looks it up. They're like, oh yeah, that was him. And then I miss my glory instead of people just listening to me in the first place. And like us having a a healthy dialogue instead of just immediately trying to disprove one another. Not that this is a true story, (laughs) but yeah, I'm not going to harp on this. I just want everyone to really think about this because I'm sure there's a lot of you with kids that love Frozen and Elsa and Anna are, are great, sweet sisters. But I just don't really think Elsa being heralded as some feminist icon just because this story was about familial and not romantic love means anything because, and I know Anna is really the star of the show, but like somehow Elsa has just skyrocketed to commercial fame. And I feel like she's the one everyone dresses up as and her all of her merch sells. But like, Because even though her ice castle was gorgeous and her powers enabled her to have absolutely zero overhead while essentially constructing a giant castle for herself with a gorgeous cascading staircase in an open concept, you know, the rest of us, if we make major mistakes and ice out our family when we're going through something internal, we're not going to get to live under such circumstances. And the reality of icing out your loved ones is very deep and dark and hurtful. And uh, I just want young people to have a proxy, an example character of somebody who says, I'm not comfortable with how I'm feeling inside. I'm needing to process some emotions. Let me consult a trusted third party mentor or parent to help me work through these feelings and reach self-acceptance quicker than 10 years and uh, rejection and absolute torment of her sibling. So, you know, just something to think about. Now, granted, I'm not privy to the access of uh, healthcare and licensed therapists in Andalasia, but... I wouldn't hate to see um, some kids messaging more friendly toward getting help and not coming toward your own random epiphany or realization, because I think that's often too late. And I think it would help kids who inevitably have court-ordered therapy from divorce and whatnot to not feel any sense of shame in going to therapy. It, It needs to become cool to work through your emotions. It needs to become cool to talk about and to normalize conversations of mental health in a household. And when I say cool, I don't mean frozen. So... Good news, it gave us more Kristen Bell, voice of Anna at all ages. And seeing her perform that live on YouTube is another favorite video of mine. And she just has the voice of an angel and the personality of a woodland creature. And I just think she is an absolute delight. And I could not stand Dak Shepard until I watched Parenthood and I loved Crosby's character. Speaking of, Crosby and Jasmine's wedding in Parenthood is my dream choir scene that, you know, if I did not get married in a Catholic church, that would not have allowed me to play a Bob Dylan song. I would have 100% considered and recruited off Craigslist a choir of people that could semi-sing just to kind of have that vague effect. Also, it happened in Love Actually, and I thought it was gorgeous when they sang the Beatles. So just a hot tip for anybody out there who's getting married. Think about a full-on choir. I really think it would add a lot of oomph to a ceremony that typically just plays like canon in D. It's kind of a bummer when you're restricted to the churches repertoire of songs. A little little boring, if you ask me. A lot of horns. Way too many horns for me. But actually, speaking of all for one, my first dance song at my wedding this past year was Casey and JoJo, All My Life. And weirdly, my husband picked it. Not necessarily his number one genre, but I think to him it was like the most quintessential, you know, middle school slow dance song. But it actually ended up being way better Because we, weirdly, we had been together for a long time, but didn't really have a song. And I mean, do people have songs? Like, come on, guys. If you have a song, do you really have a song? Are you just calling it your song? Because like, what do you do? Like hold hands and like gaze at each other in the car while like a song comes on the radio? Oh, your song is a slamming screen door? I I, I don't know. I just, we've just never been like, whatever. More power to you. Maybe we're not romantic enough. Um, But anyway, it, it kind of ended up being better because... We, we both heard it when we were young and like could imagine all my life. I prayed for someone like you, what that would be like. But it was almost sweeter having that nostalgic grounding because you I could channel myself when I was young and like could picture myself getting married and what I thought it would be like. And I don't know. It kind of was better for, to me than a modern song, even though I didn't know Greg when I heard it. But I think if you can find something that mutually meant something to you, even when you weren't together it's it's really cool and the best part was speaking of choir everybody was like singing at the top of their lungs while we were dancing it was like having a choir of a 90s r&b song and truly it was one of the highlights of my entire wedding which is ironic because i actually had forgotten about it because we were running two hours behind schedule and i was having so much fun i had no idea what time it was and i had just gone and thrown my spanks in the trash i did not have shoes on and then i heard the first few chords of casey and jojo and i was like whoa gotta go dance where's my groom haven't seen him in hours isn't that funny at weddings? I don't know if any of you guys like barely hung out with your groom at the wedding. Is that bad? I was having too much fun. I have the rest of my life with him. <laughs> but anyway, actually, while well, uh, well, I'm on the wedding topic, a couple things. One, I w- we were running an hour, like two hours behind of schedule because we had a lot of toasts at our wedding. Live for a toast, toast their life. There is no other time besides when you are dead that people get to like eulogize you while you're living. So forgive me if I want to allow my lo- my nearest and dearest to toast me and my new spouse on and th- one of the most fun days of our lives. I, I don't like to say best because I don't think you should ever say that your wedding is the best day of your life because A, it puts too much pressure on you and B, you have so many better days coming up. There's going to be so many amazing days of your your life and don't think that, that is the only great one it was so fun and it was so perfect and honestly it was one of the best but like you know I just I don't I don't like to give uh, overhype weddings because a lot of stuff can go wrong and you just never know and a lot of there's a lot of moving parts and families and personalities at weddings and if yours isn't perfect it's totally fine You have so many great days ahead of you, but oh yeah, I've heard people complain about the toast being too long or people talking for too long or taking too long to get to dancing at weddings. And like, first of all, you're a guest being invited to share in the joy of someone else's day. It's not yours. Secondly, you're it's free your your dinner and drinks are being paid for. And thirdly, like I said, it's the only time all of those people's loved ones are in the same room. And it's such a lost opportunity, I think, to not share fun stories. And it it helps to recenter the event. Like, I think sometimes when you're at a wedding, you forget you're not just there to party and you needed to recenter it and to make it about like the couple and the love and the, I don't know, just, I think it's nice to tell stories so people can kind of share in the moment a little deeper than just being at, going through the motions of being at a wedding. So Please don't complain about toast. They are glorious. I I, I live for them. A moving speech by a dad, a a hard on you, but cares about you a ton older brother, uh a best friend who's crying through her speech or even a best man who's trying to be funny and clearly Googled every single line in his speech, but is still trying to execute it flawlessly. And you can tell he's nervous because he is sweating bullets and has pit stains and has only had two beers. And normally he'd probably be like seven or eight deep. I just love it. And I'd argue I love it more when I know the couple less because it helps me get to know them more. So I don't know. Let's all just stop complaining about weddings. And I have to say, too, after being the bride, I've realized that, like, I always felt so bad when I had RSVP, no, but as the bride, you have like, there's so many things going on and there's so many people invited that if somebody can't come, it's kind of a drop in the bucket and it sucks, but it is what it is. And I was never, I was never mad at people. And if you are mad at people, check yourself because there's a lot of money and uh, scheduling and issues that go in uh, childcare, things that go into your ability to be able to attend a wedding. And if you choose to see someone's lack of attendance as a personal you know, attack on your friendship or something, some personal issue they have with you instead of just assuming that it is indeed too difficult for them. They probably feel horrible and really wish they could be there. Like, come on, be cool. If, if, and I I just don't understand anybody in any capacity forcing or making somebody feeling bad about not doing something. Do you honestly want somebody to come somewhere to do something for you against their, their will? Did you want them to be guilted into doing something? Like, no, that's a horrible way to live. That's a horrible way to build relationships. If somebody doesn't want to do something, I don't want them there. And nothing I say or do or anything I do to make them feel guilty adds any value to my experience. So just like, let it be. Let people not come if they can't, you know, be a bridesmaid if they can't attend your wedding, if they can't attend your bachelorette, like it's fine. And I'm not even speaking from personal experience. I've actually been in like the best people's weddings who haven't been that demanding, but I just feel like I hear crazy stories. And I feel like I see the way people position brides and bridezillas. And I am in a lot of Facebook groups adjacent to like podcasts and Real Housewives fans and crap. And people ask these questions like, oh my God, one of my bridesmaids is like telling me a $400 dress is too expensive and she's not getting her hair done. Like she clearly does not love me. She does not respect me. And should I just like tell her not to even bother coming? And it's like, uh, tell yourself not to come to your wedding because you who's marrying you? You're a horrible person. She probably can't afford it. That's too much money. And let her, you know, make concessions. And shes it was probably really hard for her to even tell you that in the first place. I get so fired up. Isn't that the, the best part of those scenarios, though, is in the comment section. It's divided between nice people being like, you know, give her the benefit of the doubt, etc. And then half of the comments are like, bye, bitch. <laughs> like emoji, emoji, Beyonce quote, women supporting women. Hashtag, it's your day. Hashtag, it's up to you. Do you, girl. It's like, what? This is horrible advice. Don't do you if it's the wrong thing to do. Do something better and kinder. I just... Oof, I, it's crazy to me where people solicit their advice and how they take advice that is only favorable to the opinion they already have. And they don't need the advice in the first place. And I just got to say, be very mindful of the people you solicit advice from. Ugh! sorry. My fan was on my apartment. It's like it has exposed HVAC and it, the ambient noise in our house. It's, it's unbelievable. I, I, have, I downloaded a decibel detecting app just because I'm curious at times how loud the background noise is. I'm like, am I crazy? Anyway, I, uh, I'm sorry if that was distracting earlier and yes, I am a good time gal that just sits there and calculates decibels on a Saturday night, but, uh, you know, I'm an explorer. I just, I don't want to talk about the loudness or complain about the loudness of my ambient noise without knowing the exact decibel level. And now that I'm saying it, I can't remember it. So it was all worthless. And that should be a lesson about all of my worthless endeavors, I suppose. But anywho. I uh, I say, uh, be careful of who you take advice from. And I mean that with myself included. Uh, There's so many sources of information and opinions. And while I try to remain as objective as I can, I acknowledge that I the way I think is a product of my own experiences and observations, regardless of how I try and separate myself or not. I guess what's even, I don't know, what's a bit confusing about life is like you try to take a step back and separate yourself and be objective and understand... Uh, a, an issue or have a perspective that is a combination of many different diverse views. But then if you're getting your input from a bunch of people who are not doing the same thing and applying their own subjective personal experiences and observations to their opinion of an issue, even though I'm objective and stepping back from my own opinion by getting theirs, am I any better off? Because then I'm just applying their subjective perspective onto myself. Does that make sense? I don't know. I I just have always, uh, I'm always thinking about how can I apply my own experience and a way that, you know, is legitimate wisdom I can pass on versus what am I just regurgitating that I heard once, but I don't know if I necessarily believe. What am I being insensitively objective to that? I don't know anybody who's experienced something. And maybe if I did, I would feel very differently and be communicating a different message. I try to be careful what I say on this podcast about however asinine the topic is, even though, you know, I believe in a lot of my opinions, I also don't know everything. And I don't want to you know ever come across as stubborn or strong headed because... I legitimately can and do understand where most people are coming from most of the time because I perhaps overvalue personal experience and anecdotes as it relates to an issue. But I'm always asking myself, are are the sources I'm turning to in discovery validating or invalidating their opinion based on the exact thing that I am trying to avoid and therefore by the transitive property, I am just committing the same crime, but with somebody else's thoughts. Does that make any sense? Am I high? Like, I'm just kidding. I'm not high. I don't do drugs. Hugs, not drugs. Dare scared the crap out of me in elementary school. <clears throat> Dare works. I don't care what anyone says. You show me one cartoon of a guy who has like smelly lines coming off of Mikey's Linus and he's like smoking dope. and um, He was like wearing tattered clothes and appears to live outdoors and not brushed his hair in years. You show me clip art like that. I'm like, oh, has to be outside. Doesn't get to wear nice clothes you know, clearly doesn't have access to regular hair products and uh, appears to be slightly smelly. I'm out. I'm good. Don't need drugs for the rest of my life. It's stuck in my head. I seriously think about that clip art of that guy, like that, I guess the way they were trying to suggest was homeless and jobless and unable to access a salon. And it's kind of funny how much they're impacted my life. (laughs) But I mean, not that I had ever had like regular access to drugs. I mean, Well, just to clarify, marijuana does not apply to this. I don't smoke marijuana, but I am a big proponent of it in a medical sense and a mental health sense. And, you know, I think the wave of the future is uh, hopefully skewing more that direction. It's a safer natural method that is not opioids, but I don't need to, again, get into these topics. God, I just always need to drop my two cents. This is so ridiculous. I I do take like a small issue with uh, how... I'll find out that people were doing drugs at a party I went to, like party drugs, Molly, Coke, whatever. And I'm like, okay, I wouldn't have taken it, but you could have offered. You know, what about my vibe doesn't scream fun or party drugs or like rave? Am I I just that fundamentally uptight? Do I seem like a narc? I mean, is it like my furrowed brow? Is it that people always ask me if I'm lost or confused when my face is just resting and it's really just the way my face falls? I have less of a bitchy resting face and more of a confused resting face like uh, can I ask you for directions resting face but uh what are you gonna do I mean I I, again I don't promote the use of drugs I just wouldn't hate to be asked it's just courteous you know okay gotta go hope my mom didn't make it this far I guess the good news for her is I'm not into drugs the bad news is I still you know want people to extend the invite at a party because you know to be fair she's the one that taught me manners and politeness (laughs) um Anyway, I gotta go. I gotta go, gang. Thank you so much, as always, for spending this much time with me. I could keep going. And I, as I always say, leave, leave the party while you're still having fun. I'm still having fun. I hope you are, too. And, um, as always, I desperately need your feedback. Please message me, leave a review, a star rating and above all, I'll subscribe because that way you'll get notifications when a new episode is out. And, um, you know, if you don't like what you hear and you want to change something, just, you know, shoot me an email, a DM, we can, we can work it out. I, you know, had the unfortunate experience of listening to the first episode of Shenanigans Sheena Shea's podcast this week. And, uh, yeah, it was like an hour of her being like, yeah, so now I'm in Vegas and like I'm so happy. And I know I said I was so happy before with Rob and I was so happy when he hung the TV in seven minutes and I was so happy when he hitched his boat to my car. And then I said I was so happy when I got married to Shay and then I was so happy when I was engaged to him and like he was the love of my life. And like, I know I said I was so happy all those times, but like right now, look at my form it's all happening. I am so effing happy, single, ready to mingle. Whoa, good as gold. And I was like, oh God, this is painful to listen to. And the worst part is the reason I bring that up she had an average star rating of one and a half stars, guys. Not even two stars. Uh, do you know the like gas stations I've gone to with two stars? Do you know like the, the salmonella-infused burrito places that at least have two stars? I mean, one and a half is tough stuff, and this was an average of over 900 reviews. I almost felt bad. I almost wanted to leave a, uh, like A for effort participation trophy because, like yeah, it's not great, but it's not one and a half stars. And people are so hard on her, and it made me feel a little bit guilty for her piling on in in the reality star making fun of. But what are you going to do? I am also kind of annoyed because these are kind of a lot of work and she has a podcast network and a ton of advertisers and clearly thousands and thousands of listeners. If already over 900 people jumped the gun to leave a bad review, that's kind of the irony, though, is her podcast will still do well because people will hate listen. So, you know, whatever character you are uh, being, I guess, in the public isn't a bad thing. And, you know. More power to her. Should I end with Good as Gold or perhaps Not Myself Tonight by Sheena Shea? I'm just kidding. I won't do that. I'm going to end with something that is a better rendition of something I did for you earlier because I do love the song and it gives me great meaning. And I don't know why, but for some reason, these these real mega ballads kind of get my day going. And if they don't for you, I apologize. And I'll pick something more upbeat next week. I thought about doing Independent Women by Destiny's Child, but I have a very dark story to do with that song that I'll, I'll discuss at a later date that I wasn't ready for today. And by dark, I mean, it's just embarrassing. I'm okay. Anyway, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I love, love, love that you guys listen and want more and care. I think still, I hope, I don't know. Each each episode that goes on, I feel like I hear from people, people less and less. And you probably think you don't need to tell me more than once what you do or don't like, but a girlfriend needs reassurance. I am a youngest child. I need a lot of feedback just to even think I have any, any right to keep going or else one person will be like, yeah, this episode was okay. And I'm like, I'm shutting the whole thing down. You know, so just just to give you a heads up about some of my personal issues I need to work through. <laughs> Another quick post-production note. Apologies for the difference in sound quality. If you like this podcast and you want me to keep doing it, I don't really have a long-term plan. I just kind of started it and was like, oh, guess I'm doing this every week. <laughs> and I'm really enjoying it. But alas, it does not produce any income and it is very time consuming. So uh, there's a place called Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N uh, dot com slash be there and five. That's F-I-V-E, not the number. Or you can search on patreon.com for Be There and Five. It's a place where you can pledge like a dollar a month to your favorite content creator who are making something you appreciate for free and want to be able to keep going. Basically, I'll it will, it will just allow me to pay um, an editor to get the podcast out faster, make the sound more crisp and not vo- like rupture your eardrums because I don't know how to equalize volume. So if, if you like what this is and appreciate it, it, please go to patreon.com and consider just donating a dollar a month. It would help me out greatly. And uh, you'll also get bonus episodes about a myriad of topics that... I have in the pipeline for that one. And I just it's more fun because I can just talk and upload it and I don't edit it or anything or worry about my heavy breathing. So good times all around. So yeah, patreon.com slash be there and five, I would so 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 appreciate it. If not, it may break my heart, but there's one thing that's for sure, and that's I will never break yours. Please allow me to take you to church with this nineteen ninety-five hit that sounds much better than my nematode voice ever did. As always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. Baby, I know.